Welcome to the Brand Party Podcast. I'm your host, Christine from CL Designs. If you know me, execution and getting shit done is my middle name. This podcast will energize you to invest in your brand in new ways. Join me for tips, insights, and actions you can take to make your brand a priority in your business. My guests and I deliver honest, to-the-point advice you can implement right away. Your brand is worth celebrating. It can be fun, and I'll show you how. Let's get this party started. Alicia Jade is a three-time certified dynamic meditation mindfulness teacher and consultant. She leads retreats, workshops, and sessions in studios and offices around the world. Here's Alicia. Thank you so much for joining in on the Brand Party Podcast today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I feel super honored and I'm very excited. Well, we'll dive right in and I want to ask you, how does Brand Party resonate with you? Oh my goodness. I was excited to answer this question too. I was like, oh, well, (laughs) for me personally, it's interesting. I have a very bubbly personality very naturally. So, and my mom encouraged it much to her chagrin later on in life. She really encouraged it. And so for me, I try to make happy moments genuinely a mini party for myself. You might've seen on my Instagram yesterday, I had a dance party by myself in my living room. Yes. (laughs) So for me, I love building a brand that almost is a party in a sense and really cultivating and creating a space that is enjoyable. So not necessarily toxically positive where everything is fake, but more understanding that in certain moments, we really can have fun with it. And that also includes building and cultivating your brand. I really think that it can be and should be a fun experience. Not every piece and part of it will be fun. I've built multiple brands for myself and not every part of it was fun, but I will say that once you got it, you got it. And it's so much fun in itself. So I really think that for me, Brand Party resonates because I know it's just about having a good time as you build out your brand and and create your go-to-market strategy. Absolutely. If you're not having fun with it, I think people should take a moment to pause and reflect a little bit of what isn't aligned there and just respectfully understand that maybe it's not for you and that you can really adjust from there. But what would you say to those who feel overwhelmed by their branding and design challenges right now? My number one tip is to hire a professional. If you can afford it, hire a professional. I enjoy pretty things. Okay. (laughs) I like it when things look pretty. I like it when things are organized. I like it when things are somewhat perfect. (laughs) However, I personally am not a perfectionist, nor am I one who is aesthetically inclined (laughs) in that sense. So that takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of schooling. And while I did attend multiple design courses, I spend all day on Pinterest. I know what I like, but in terms of execution and implementation, I understand and I know, and I have hired professionals. So wherever somebody can do that, I highly recommend it because in the end, you're going to want what you want. And if you don't go for what you truly want at first, and instead you try to duct tape together your brand, 
you're not going to like it. Your customers are going to feel that you're not going to like it. And in the end, it's just not a fun experience. So I recommend that if somebody's feeling really stuck to actually take a step back and really ask yourself, am I supposed to be doing this part of everything or should I hit pause? roll with what I have at this point and then hire a professional and really save up and, and take it from that point because whatever your brand ends up looking like is what your customers feel and see. And I personally think that branding is very underrated in its correct sense. So everybody will say, oh, you need to have your colors, et cetera. But what about how that feels? So yeah, I, I really recommend hiring a professional. <laughs> well, thank you so much for highlighting that, first of all, because we often get carried away that your branding is only your, just your logo or only the colors, right? But there's so much more behind the scenes of that experiential side of things and the messaging and the language that we use that's so powerful. So yeah, I hope that really sinks in and resonates with people listening as well. But uh, shifting gears, I do have one quick question, I guess, in terms of people who obviously have a big following on your personal branding side of things, as well as uh, you're mindful. And I often get asked this question about how do you find the balance if there is such a thing of why to have a personal brand and why there should be a need for your own business side of things as well? Absolutely. And what people may also not know too is is I'm also a senior social media manager in my nine to five. So I moonlight as a corporate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, people may not know. So I do like three things all at once and (laughs) it, it can be a lot. And the one thing I will say though, that I think is very important and why I love actually seeing that YouTubers do this because there's an awesome YouTuber named Patricia Bright. I love her. And I'd seen that the other day somebody had tweeted out and said, who is a great marketer? And I believe that Sarah actually from the growth company. Yeah. She's just like such an incredible job. She teaches growth courses and she's really cool. She tweeted out, she said, who's great at marketing? And I said, Patricia Bright and Jackie Ina. And those are two incredible black YouTubers. I've been following them for years and years (laughs) and I've been loving their journeys. But even beyond those two, I often notice that YouTubers will create a main channel where they have their weekly videos that people expect, whether they be beauty videos, videos about cars, videos about travel, and then they'll segment off and they'll peel off and create a vlog channel or create a secondary channel, but another brand. So for instance, Patricia Bright has started a YouTube channel called The Break. And it's all about financial literacy because that's actually what she studied in school. While her audience is interested in financial literacy here or there, those videos may not necessarily do as well on her personal channel. People are there to see her big, beautiful personality, not hear about stocks, not hear about margins. So she took that elsewhere. And I really do think that it's important for us to understand what our audience really enjoys and not shove things down their throat that they're not interested in. So while I will be infusing a lot more in terms of wellness, meditation, and mindfulness into my personal Instagram that I work to cultivate through travel blogging, I do think that there is that line to toe of understanding what is authentic to you and what you must put out for your audience and different things that might be fun to experiment on a second channel and segment there. That's something that came up quite a bit as I was recommending to different friends who were building their brands and they were like, oh my God, do I start a second Instagram? And I was like, you can. And I actually recommend it in certain settings. One friend who's an illustrator said, start a second Instagram, adjust your illustrations. There are many different Instagrammers who are poets and they have 
only poetry Instagrams. And those end up actually taking off because of how niche and segmented they are. It's not selfie poem, meatball sandwich. It's poem, poem, poem. (laughs) So I think that it's important to give your audience something to anticipate for and something to be excited for by segmenting out your different channels. That laser focus creates such a big impact. That consistency as well and familiarity, definitely something that I think is underrated in that sense. So I appreciate you highlighting that as well. But shifting gears a little bit, it's no secret that we all are striving for less stress in our lives. And a form that we can do this is obviously through meditation and mindfulness. But what are some of the actual benefits of mindfulness and stillness in our lives? Man, there's so many. (laughs) There are so many benefits to meditation and mindfulness. However, I will speak personally and then a little bit objectively on what the science says. So in my own personal life, I was able to discover the benefits of meditation and mindfulness when I stopped meditating. And I gave myself a break. Actually, last year this time, I took one month off from meditating. I found that while meditation obviously had benefits in my life, I just didn't know what they were. And my mom told me as a kid, I was the type of child who sometimes needed to touch the stove to understand that it was hot. <laughs> and she let me. She, I was like two or something. She was like, it's hot. Don't touch it. And I was like, mm, <laughs> I don't believe you. I put my hand over the stove. She didn't let me touch it, but I put my hand over it and I was like, yeah, girl, that's hot. (laughs) And I didn't touch it. So I sometimes have to learn through feeling. And I felt when I took a month off from meditation, I noticed that my sleeping cycle was off. I noticed that I was more anxious. I noticed that I wasn't able to manage and control my stress the ways that I had previously when I was meditating. I noticed that in terms of being able to regulate and answer people for what they were saying to me in that moment, not for the attitude they gave me the day before or not for what I'm expecting a little bit later on. I wasn't able to be as present. I was stuck in the past or the future and not the present. So I just found that for myself, and this could be dating myself a little bit, but I find that meditation is like hitting the slow down button on the VHS. For those of you who know what VHSs are, (laughs) it's like hitting, hitting that like slow down on like your VHS system. And then almost like having that video slow down, you're able to actually see all the little pieces and parts that you may not have noticed before. So I found that for myself, I was able to slow my life down without actually slowing things down. My schedule was still packed. I still was working a nine to five, trying to attend my meditation teachers courses. And I'm still even doing certification. So I was doing my certifications at UFT, planning a trip to go to India and as well, completing another certification through a digital course with Gabrielle Bernstein. So all of that was happening. But when I reintroduced meditation into my life on a consistent basis with less ego and less of it feeling monotonous and like a a set routine that was boring, it ended up benefiting me way more and I ended up seeing those benefits and consistencies. In terms of what we see for the science, I recommend that people check out the book Altered Traits. That's a really great book all about the neuroscience behind meditation and mindfulness and what people are now seeing. I personally don't believe in measuring meditation and mindfulness the way that we do in the Western sense of quantifying data and numbers and brain chemistry, but that's just the way and the lens that we choose to see instead of actually understanding multiple generations and thousands of years of personal testimony, but that's okay especially for the business owners that are listening to this too. I'm sure that they can relate that they are pulled in a million different directions and it can be hard to just 
again, focus, take moments for themselves and to hit that slow down button as well and give it the time and space that it really does need and deserve in your day. But something that I learned from you too, from our past conversations is that we can actually still achieve that mindfulness in an active state, which totally blew my mind. And so what are ways that we can actually explore this active states for those action-packed go-getters out there? Absolutely. Yes. For all of the people who love them some adrenaline, there are absolutely different ways for you to meditate beyond what we understand. So as meditation and mindfulness and other mindful practices have become westernized, many people understand meditation to only be sitting cross-legged or in lotus position, eyes closed in the perfect leggings, sitting on an expensive mat, burning incense and, you know, oming or even just in complete silence and serenity. That is not what meditation has to be. Meditation can be puzzling. It can be coloring. It can be going for walks and listening to a guided meditation or even going for a walk and listening to ocean sounds. Sometimes if I find that I'm unable to sleep or something's going on, I will wake up in the night and I will meditate because I'm like, my body just needs something. And I could just be literally sitting there listening to orcas wailing and making noises. And that is a form of meditation. Meditation really in a sense, it is what you make it. And this is as somebody who is quite the traditionalist. So this isn't disrespectful of the practice for me to say you can make meditation into what you want. This is something that was taught to me by my awesome guru Shiva, who I met and learned from when I did one of my certifications in Goa. And he said, we don't have to take meditation as quote unquote seriously as we do in that Western sense of, okay, now 8 a.m. every single day, I'm going to sit here and meditate. Meditation also can look like just walking through a doorway and every doorway you walk through, you pause, you take a breath and you continue on as well too. in considering and understanding and trying to be accessible with meditation. One of my awesome teachers who I met at the university of Toronto, Michelle Chavan, she's great. She has multiple disabilities and as a result is unable to sit in seated meditation for an extended period of time. Does that mean that she doesn't meditate? No, she does. She's able to meditate in a way that works and is functional for her body. And that includes her walking through different doorways, taking a breath and taking a moment. As she's speaking, sometimes she may look away, pause, and then come back to what she's saying. That is a form of meditation. And I think people need to do a little bit of deeper research into what meditation is for themselves. So I'd say even before beginning a practice and starting with active meditations, which could be jump rope, yoga, et cetera, even swimming. I personally would recommend that people do a bit of reading. I recommend the book, Wherever You Go, There You Are by John Kabat-Zinn. In spite of a lot of the controversies around John Kabat-Zinn as a practitioner and a teacher, I do recommend that people check out that book. It really assisted me in being able to drop my ego and think, oh, I have to meditate for 60 minutes if I'm a teacher. No, meditation could be even just me during this podcast, taking a breath and taking a moment, taking a second, and then moving through into the next thing I have to say. So I think for people who may think that they can't prioritize meditation because they don't have the time, if we have the time to brush our teeth in the morning so our breath doesn't smell funky, we have the time to be able to take a breath and take a second for five minutes to ensure our attitude and our aura and our energy is not funky. (laughs) Yes. 
I'm feeling all of this and I hope everybody's just feeling so light and bright from this conversation as well. I know I am. And so I want to dive a little bit deeper too about this because we don't talk about accessibility enough as well. So how can we support people, especially if it's invisible from the outside as well. I think that's equally important and should be respected. So how can we support people who do have different abilities, maybe just are having different circumstances and challenges on a day-to-day or even a moment basis? I think one of the number one things is, for me at least, that I'm working through is accessible language. I love watching different videos of YouTubers describing their own experiences. So for instance, I love watching Squirmian Grubs on YouTube. They are great. They're very funny. Cole and Charisma as well too. And they are both interabled couples and they talk about their own experiences of being an interabled couple. So what does that mean when both Shane and, oh gosh, I can't remember his wife's name, but within this one couple, they walk down the street or they're at a restaurant or something. And people oftentimes will speak to the person in the relationship who does not have the visible disability and say, Oh, can I take a picture with him? Or can I do this? Or can I do that? And it's like, he has ears (laughs) and he can speak. So I think that number one, take a step back and really doing research for yourself and understanding what the life is like for those who have disabilities, but as well, listening to what they have to say and not being defensive. For instance, on the Scorpion Grubs channel, they created a great video and they said 10 things to not say to somebody who has a disability. And they listed a bunch of things that I already knew were disrespectful. But one thing as well too, they were like, use the word disability. It's perfectly fine. Like that's something we're trying to remove the stigma from. So use it. He has a disability. That is what it is called. Let's lean into that and let's talk through that and what that language looks like and what that feels like. So I think the number one way is through research, through understanding people's lifestyles, and as well then moving into proper language. So as you've done that research, then becoming a person who is aware and is also an accessible friend. I have friends, for instance, who are trans. I have friends who are disabled, etc. But the reason why we're able to stay friends isn't just because we each have fun, bubbly personalities. It's also because I try my best to use accessible language and language that understands the different intersections that they sit at. So in doing so, and in saying so, when I'm teaching a meditation, I always say, if this is available to you. And that was something I understood and learned from my teacher, Michelle Chaban, who I mentioned has multiple disabilities as a result of a car crash that she'd experienced. And so for her, she always says, turn your head to the left, if that's available to you. Take a breath in this position, if you can. Sit over here or maybe move over there. And also noting different modifications to accommodate and also not pushing people beyond their threshold. As I teach meditations too, I always mention to people, hey, if for instance, you're feeling like you can't concentrate right now, that's fine. This isn't about judgment. Meditation is not a competition. It is not framed in that Western sense. This is a moment and a second for you to take a breath, to take a step and take a moment. And I'd love to be able to ensure that anybody and everybody who has a disability is able to attend my classes. And I always ask as well too, whether or not there are any accommodations I can make to my class, whether that be the sound of my voice, whether that be the type of language that I use, I always inquire with my clients. And I think that's important for people, whether they're meditation teachers or not, to ensure that they ask their clients and say, are there any accommodations that I can make to ensure that you feel safe in this environment as we go to work together? That way people can say, well, you know, I never end up having anybody who's a client in a wheelchair. I never end up having anybody who's a client who may be hard of hearing. Yes, but have you created an environment where that person can come to you is the question. Absolutely. These are great reflections as well. And 
oftentimes we talked about on this episode too, a lot of like internal talk from ourselves and ego that comes up and different pressures, but also looking on the other side of the environment that we surround ourselves in is equally influenced as well of how we react to things and how we choose to make decisions. So we had Octavia from Paper and Coin on season two, episode 14. And so you did a article for them as well about toxic uh, startup culture and how it actually affects mental health too. So I do want to kind of dive into that a little bit. Like what are three things that we can do today that we can put our own well-being at the top of our to-do list? Talking first of all to Octavia was amazing. She is so sweet and Paper and Coin is such an incredible initiative to bring financial literacy to everyone. And I love that. In terms of the three things that we can do to really put our mental health at the forefront, I think the number one thing is to practice non-judgment. That's number one. So a lot of people come to me and will say, oh, well, meditation is great for you, but I can't do it, right? And I say, well, why can't you meditate? And they're like, well, I, I just can't sit there and I can't concentrate. I say, well, meditation isn't about sitting and concentrating. And they're like, well, I can't be quiet. And I'm like, you can hum and meditate, right? And so I think a lot of people end up judging themselves and closing themselves off from being able to practice different things. So I think the number one thing is to remove judgment from the equation. And I love Gabrielle Bernstein's book, The Judgment Detox. I tell people all the time that book is literally the tiniest book on the planet. It is itty bitty. It took me, I think, a year or a year and a half to read it. Assuming there's a lot of homework within there to do, to learn about non-judgment and to learn how to let go of judging ourselves and of limiting ourselves based on our judgments and thoughts of ourselves. So that's number one. I'd say number two is to give ourselves space. Now, whatever space looks like, lean into it. For me personally, because I'm an only child and secretly an introvert, many people do not know I am an introvert to the hilt. I'm not a fake introvert. I have friends who might be quiet at work, for instance, but they're bubbly once they get to know you. No, I need to be alone. I need my space. Everybody messaged me. They're like, when I moved to Vancouver, they said, oh my God, do you have a roommate? <laughs> no, <laughs> I like to live alone. <laughs> discover yourself and understand yourself. And I really started on that journey through doing multiple personality tests. And that is a big piece of content that I'll be working through over the fall, winter and into 2021 season is teaching people to do personality tests so that they themselves will be able to give themselves the grace that they need. For instance, I took a disc test and that's a great test and it measures your personality and your working style. And the test itself, it said that you enjoy collaborating with others. You love seeing the big picture. However, teeny tiny details are not your forte. And I gasped. I was like, oh, this is me. But I love the way that the test framed it. Because before, for instance, that would be a really bad thing to not necessarily be naturally detail-oriented. I work in social media, so I am now detail-oriented. But it wasn't always in the past. And so I used to feel so guilty about it and beat myself up about the fact that being a detail-oriented person just didn't come natural. But you know what did? Collaboration, management, working with people. And so that test framed the things that I thought were big weaknesses for me and that I didn't like about myself in a way that was just so beautiful. So I think discovering yourself and thus giving yourself grace would be my final two as a result. So in understanding yourself, then accommodating those things. If you don't like doing things that are detail-oriented, but you have to for your business, 
cool, maybe set aside a budget and hire somebody on a website like Fiverr or Upwork to do that work for you and free up your mind and give yourself that space. You can be way more creative. And so you'll be able to lean into all of the other things you actually love about your business. Amazing. I love that. And I am. Shoot. <laughs> Ooh, I am celebrating the fact that I have surpassed 50 meditations for my business. You're mindful. Woo. woo. Yes. Woo. My goal is to hit over 100 this year. So I'm definitely well on my way to do so for paid clients and as well, free clients who I work with. So I'm very excited about that. And congrats as well. Thank you. <laughs> What's the number one thing that you want people to have fun with from this episode? Amazing. And to follow up with that too, what is your go-to dance song? Ooh, it depends. It really depends. Yesterday it was, I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters. Oof, that gets me going. Maniac also, I think is a great one. I do love me some 80 songs because it gets me doing that little like run in place dance move. That, oh, absolutely. And then I feel like I'm in an episode of Charlie Brown because I do like the head <laughs> move with it too. It's, it's everything. It's great. So I'd say like, pumping 80s music really gets me going if I'm doing like an ecstatic dance meditation then I may end up doing something a little more ethereal but really my neighbors have definitely seen me shake my booty to some songs so t-pain or like 80s dance music I love it. Well, virtual flash mobs in the making. Yeah, I'm a very frequent dance partier in my <laughs> space as well so totally there with you but what is your bold legacy? Oh, I love that so much. Hmm. To assist people with seeing themselves. I think that's my big thing. I recently read the book, How to Ikigai. And I took my time and went through that. And I discovered that my Ikigai is to be a mirror. So to assist people in seeing themselves. Because oftentimes we're so busy trying to see others or have others see us when really we should just take a moment to see ourselves. Well, thank you so much, Alicia, for taking the time to join in on the Brand Party Podcast. Where can people find out more about you? Absolutely. People are free to visit my website, elashajade.com, or they can check me out at elashajade on Instagram or your underscore mindful, Y-O-U-R underscore M-I-N-D-F-U-L. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Enjoy the Brand Party? Leave a rating and review to share the fun we've had. Until next time.